So I don't know who your next encounter is going to be with, but I know this. Jesus connects people for empowerment. And that's really where the synergy begins. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to give the Lord all the glory this morning. Can we do that together? Yes. Don't be afraid to clap those hands. Come on. Sing this out. I give you glory. I give you glory for all you brought me through. Yeah. And now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. Sing, I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward to follow. Sing about his presence, your presence is an open door. We want you, Lord, like never before. Yeah. Your presence is an open door. So come.
Let's sing that chorus together one more time. Your presence lifted up an open door. Yeah. We want you, Lord, like never before. Sing it to Him. Your presence is an open door. So come now, Lord, like never before. Can we praise Him and give Him all the glory? Lord God, we just continue to worship you now. I love this song. It's all about building our life on a firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. You are worthy. Hear our praise. Yeah. Jesus, the name above every other 
send him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art when Christ shall come sing it out with shout of acclamation and take me home yeah what joy shall fill my heart then i shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim come on my god i pray then sings my soul my savior god to me how great thou art how great thou the praise today give a shout of victory to the Lord our God how great thou art how great thou art how great thou art hallelujah 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 Jesus Jesus is our soon coming king do you believe it Hallelujah. When Christ shall come. Hallelujah. I'm so excited about what's in store for all of us today. But I must say that if Jesus wanted to come right now, that'd be okay. That'd be okay, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. You may be seated today. I want to thank you for getting up bright and early from all over the state of Ohio to be here in Columbus with all your new best friends. Turn to your right and your left and behind you and say, howdy neighbor. Awesome. So
So in case uh, this is your first time to Synergy, what you may not know is you just invited those people over for Thanksgiving. And uh, we're tight here. We're tight here at Synergy. So exchange addresses after we're done and we'll be on our Christmas list. It is fantastic to see everybody. We've got a record crowd for our Ohio Leadership Training Day here at Synergy 2019. Give yourselves a hand. How many of you really are? This is your very first time to be at Synergy. Oh, man, look at that. Welcome, welcome. We're glad that you're here. There's so much to celebrate uh, what God is doing across Ohio. Today, as you take part in more than 85 breakout sessions on all these dozens and dozens of vital topics, you are going to hear some amazing information. Many of you are going to go home and say, that one session, that, that one reference to a website, that was worth the whole trip on, on top of everything else. But more than that, it'll be the connections. It'll, it'll be you making some friends. Ohio is the kind of state where we really can have the whole state together. And uh, just because we're a couple hours away, uh, we, we see each other a lot. This is a great way to make some connections that you will take home, not just the presenters, but some of the people in your classes. You're going to meet some people who do what you do. They have the same heartbeat. You thought you were the only one, and you found somebody who, spiritually speaking, uh, is your soulmate because they want to see the same thing that you do uh, to see uh, the people that they're trying to reach come to know Jesus Christ. My name is John Wooten. If I haven't met you, I hope I get to do so at the end of the day. I'll be coming back at the final session to uh, share my heart with you uh, to make sure we're all all clued into what God is doing across the state of Ohio. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, without uh, much further ado, I want to get into this opening session. We have been planning for this for more than a year. Some of you already know, but many of you don't know uh, what we're in the store for. Uh, a couple of years ago, at our general council, the national gathering of the Assemblies of God that happens every two years, uh, it was time for us to elect one of our national leaders to be on our national executive presbytery, and uh, we specifically have an office designated for under 40 ministers. We want to make sure our younger voices are represented, that we get the benefit of all that God is speaking through them, and that they get the benefit of knowing that we're all in this together. And for the first time in our fellowship's history, a female minister was elected for that position under 40, and uh, she caught many of us by surprise. She didn't, uh, she didn't catch the Lord by surprise. She was just positioning herself to be available, and God uh, came in and just made it so clear. And then once we saw what God had done, we've just been rejoicing ever since. So Melissa Alfaro is here today from Houston, Texas. Hats, hats off to anybody who would come from a place so warm to a place so cold uh, on a week like this. Uh, she is not only our executive presbyter uh, for the Assemblies of God, uh, representing the under 40 ministers and representing all of us, really, uh, but she and her husband co-pastor a dynamic church in the heart of Houston. I'm sure you're going to hear about that today. Uh, this woman has been gifted by God to communicate the, the gospel to communicate the love of Jesus Christ, and I can hardly wait. I'm so excited for you that you get to be here for the opening session. Would you please make sure Melissa knows that Ohio is a place like no other as you give her a warm Buckeye welcome to Synergy 2019. Amen, Ohio. Good morning. God bless you. How many know that God is good all the time and all the time? 
I got some people with some old souls in here. That's pretty good. Amen. It is truly a delight to be in the house of the Lord and to be with all of you fine people. I want to thank uh, your superintendent, Brother John, his lovely wife, Bridget, their entire staff and team that have been so accommodating, hospitable, and just shown the love of Jesus to us from the moment we scheduled this event to be with you to the moment we got off the plane, got here. Uh, Just thank you so much. Can we give uh, just a hand clap of appreciation to great leadership, servants of the Lord. Amen. I am so excited today. It's, it's not often that we three get to travel together because we both are pastors of the church. We can't always be out at the same time, but I am thrilled that my husband's here, uh, Pastor Jay Alfaro from Tab Church Houston. He's there in the back with a baby in his arms, and that little bundle of joy is our 15-year miracle baby. 15-year, uh, I say that because we were in a process. You'll hear a little bit more about that in the message, but that is Jay David III, and uh, he has started to walk. He has seven teeth, and he speaks, though we still need the gift of interpretation to understand what he's saying. If any of you, by any chance, have that gift, please see me after service. I still don't know what he's saying. He's like, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up. I was like, okay. But we're thrilled to be with you. As I began to prepare for synergy, the Lord just placed a word. I, I still remember I was praying for Ohio Ministry Network, praying for what God is doing in this whole Ohio for Jesus initiative and, and plan that's going forth. And God dropped a word in my spirit, and it was audacity. And audacious, audaciousness or audacity is a willingness to take bold risk. It's to uh, display fearlessness and courage and bravery. And I would like to think that one Saturday afternoon, I had audacity. I was leaving my home to make a grocery run. My husband was at the church, so I was home alone at that time. We did not have our child at that time. So I'm walking towards my car, and when I get to my car door, lo and behold, stretched out under my car door is a snake. Yes, that's exactly what I did, my response. Now, I know we're just getting to know each other, you good-looking people, you. But there's one thing you have to know about Melissa, and that's my relationship with snakes is non-existent. I hate snakes. I grew up in a small country town, and as a little girl, I had a few encounters with rather large snakes that had caused me a panicking, death-defying fear of snakes. So there I was, standing before this, this snake right there under my car door, and I know I've got a mission to accomplish, but I'll tell you, I had a paralyzing fear come over me. I didn't know whether to move, to scream, to jump. I was frozen, and my heartbeat was racing. My thoughts were running. I was saying to myself, they said, move to Houston, move to the city, country girl. There will be no snakes there, whatever. We're moving tomorrow. But then as I stood there, something overtook me. God interrupted my thoughts, and I remember standing a few feet from that snake, though it was something of a, so it was like this, a small snake. (laughs) But because of my fear, and it's funny how your mind will play tricks with you, that small snake looked like a, a snake, an anaconda from the Amazon jungle to me. 
And something rose up inside me. It was an audacity I never felt before that made me react and respond to my fear rather than stand there paralyzed. So I carefully made my way, backed away from the snake, made my way into my house, went to the garage, found a shovel, and picked up my cell phone. You didn't know Siri could do things, did you, like that? No, the first thing I did is I took a picture of that snake. No, it was not a selfie. I took a picture because I said, if I go down in this fight, I must leave my husband with evidence of what took my life. <laughs> Putting the cell phone, away, cell phone away, I took that shovel and I began to hit that snake in a way I had never done before. You see, audacity will cause you to do things that you normally would not do. And as a believer, when you couple audacity with the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, it will cause you to arise in moments of fear and darkness. It will lead you to stand up. It will lead you to step out. And it will lead you to grow beyond the obstacle that's standing before you. Let me tell you, in life and ministry, we will have life interruptions. It's not always going to be easy. Life is not meant to be easy. We will face giants. We will come face to face with our greatest fear and nemesis. John 16, Jesus himself said, in this life, in this world, you will have trouble. Ministry will not be convenient. It will not be cute and comfortable. Somewhere between your call and the cross, somewhere between your promise and your process, you will encounter difficulty that will cause you possibly to question your faith or even your assignment to ministry in that moment. And in those moments, the enemy will use every tactic in the book to discourage you, to distract you and take you off course, to detour your route, to burn you out, to frustrate you, and even harden your heart in the crucible of life seasons. And in those moments, Jesus says, yeah, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. That means be undaunted, be courageous, be bold. Ohio, be audacious, for I've already overcome the world. In other words, leaders, you are not fighting for victory, but you are fighting in a stance that has already received the victory, and it's been won. The characteristic of a great leader is not how they live necessarily their faith out on the mountaintop. Anybody can live when everything's going your way. But the characteristic of an influential leader is one that can live out audacious faith in the midst of barren seasons. The Bible's replete with men and women who responded to their season with audacious faith. I want to share with you for the next few moments on three of these individuals who lived out audacious faith, who arose in the midst of their trial. The first of all, we have, or first of all, we have in the first four chapters of 1 Samuel, they juxtapose the barren situation of two families. You have Eli, the priest of Israel. We have his home. And in those days, the word says, the, the word of the Lord was rare. In fact, we find in scripture that Eli's literal vision is growing dim. And because he has turned a blind eye to the sins of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, we see a spiritual decadence that is permeating the house of Eli. It's affecting the spiritual climate of a nation where we see at the end of the story, the Ark of the Covenant is captured. And it also affects, and this is what really got my attention, it affects his generations to come. You see, because God tells Eli that his descendants would be a symbol of sap strength, of destroyed sight, in other words, no vision, and they would die in the prime of life. 
You see, Eli's leadership or his home is a picture, a tragic picture of barren leadership and legacy. Juxtaposed to Eli and his family, we find the story of Hannah. And Hannah is the wife of Elkanah and is physically barren. She cannot conceive or have children. And to make matters worse, his, her husband's other wife, Penina, has many children and lives to lord it over her. And the Bible says that each year they would go to the temple to worship and make sacrifice to the Lord. And every time they would go to the temple, Penina would begin her taunting. And she would interrupt Hannah's worship and appetite and leave her in anguish. And this was a continual cycle year after year. But one day, Hannah had enough. And 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 9 says, Hannah stood up. She stood up, unlike Eli, whose sedentary position was a reflection of his spiritual barrenness. Hannah allowed the taunting of the enemy to push her past her enemy and to drive her straight to the presence of God. You see, Hannah prayed an audacious prayer. She not only asked for a son, but in faith she gave to God the very thing that was not yet in her hand. The Bible says that after she prayed, she went, she ate, her face was no longer downcast, and early the next morning she arose and worshipped. Imagine this, her womb is still empty, but she's got her hands in worship. She's still pregnant with faith. The size and wor of your worship and the audacity of your prayers, leaders, is a reflection of your faith, or it will be a an exposure of your feelings and your fear. For 15 years, my husband and I had prayed for a child. Doctors, they finally came up and, and medically just wrote, it's unexplained infertility. And we suffered a miscarriage in this process. And nobody had answers for us. And it was a very difficult season, 15 years of waiting and waiting and praying and, and just hoping, God, please don't pass us by. I remember May 2017 being at a women's conference in Dallas. And as I'm there, I'm in the expo area, and I catch a glimpse of this baby onesie that says on the front, gift from God. Now, a year prior to that event and moment, I had been in Costa Rica at a district or national girls ministries training over there with some of our national leaders at the time, Mandy Grote, who was there. And we had had a conversation. We had formed a good relationship and I was sharing her with our struggles with conception and she shared her stories and she encouraged me with her story. She said, you know, Melissa, just go buy a onesie, hang it up on the door in your bedroom and just begin to thank God. Don't ask him for what, what's already yours. Just thank him. Just thank him for what's yours and the baby that's on its way. I'll be honest, it sounded so good in theory. Here I am, a pastor's wife. It sounded great in theory. But I don't think my faith was that audacious yet to put it into practice. Until I was at this women's conference. And I see that onesie, and I break from my group. I purchase that onesie. I take it home. I put it right there on the highest shelf in our prayer room. So every morning as I'm calling out to God, I'm seeing that. And I'm like, by the way, God, thank you for this miracle. Can I tell you that as I began to thank God and worship God for what was already done, 
God began to change the way I was praying. I wasn't asking God anymore to fill my womb. I was asking God to use the seed that's already in my womb to shake nations and to speak his word and to be of that modern day, that last day generation of children, sons and daughters that will prophesy what's on the heart of God. You see, when you activate audacious faith, it should change the way you worship and it should change the way you pray. And for the glory of God, three months later, on our 15th wedding anniversary, we find out we're expecting. Only God can do that. You see, leaders, if you want to frustrate the plans of the enemy, it's time to turn up the level of your faith. It's time to turn up the level of your worship in in the midst of your barrenness. It's time to let the taunting drive you to pray bold prayers, not prayers that center around what you can do, not prayers that are logical or reasonable, not things that fit your budget, but prayers that break down strongholds, prayers that bring reconciliation, prayers that create churches and ministries and things that had been void and were never there before prayers that touch generations that still have not been born. Hannah's prayer launched her future generations into their God-given potential. Little did Hannah know that on the other side of her audacious faith and prayer was the prophetic voice of Samuel, who would be the first prophet of God of Israel. You see, anytime the enemy attacks you, Penina taunts in your ear, it's not about you, leader. It's not about your church. It's not about your life. It's about the prophetic promise that's on the inside of you, and it's going to take audacity to pray your way through it, to worship your way through it, to push your way through it, and stand up and arise. How do we do that? Number one, pray the word. Psalm 119, 41 through 42 says, may your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. His word is our defense against the taunting of the enemy. Anytime we pray, we begin to take captive every lying thought of the enemy, every seed of doubt. We take stronghold of it, and we cause our faith to arise as we recount what God has done and what he's promised to do. Pray with expectation. Romans 12, 12 says, be alert, servants of the master. Cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in the hard times. Pray all the harder. You see, rather than let our circumstances and our five senses, what we can see, hear, feel, taste, and walk through and live, don't let that dictate what you're going to believe in this season. Let your faith inform your feelings and let them shape your practice. When you leave synergy, let faith arise and cause you to do things, say things, speak things that you have never done before. If you're praying for growth in your ministry, don't stay stuck in the prayer room asking and waiting for it to come so then you prepare the atmosphere. You start operating on a level of excellence. If you need to break a threshold in your church or break a threshold in your youth ministries or discipleship ministries, say, God, I'm not going to wait till the increase comes to start operating on that level of excellence. I'm going to do it now like it's already done. <laughs> Lastly, pray with gratitude. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You see, our gratitude and ability to worship in the barren seasons of life reflects our confidence in Almighty God. God may say yes. He may say no. Like us, he may say wait, but we still worship. 
because we know that we can trust his track record of faithfulness. He will either use a season to shape us for our destiny or he will use a season to prepare us for the end that we're coming to. But no season is ever wasted in life and ministry. Look at your neighbor and tell him, stand up. Stand up in audacity. Number two, in addition to standing up, we got to step out. This takes me to Judges chapter 4 where we find the story of two warriors. One is a warrior by title and position and the other is a warrior by audacious act of faith. We know the story. Many of you are probably Bible scholars here. Sisera and his armies have taken over the armies of God and the people of God. And Deborah had heard from God and commands the commander of the army, Barak, to go, simply to go to the battlefield. The victory has already been won. And in Judges 4, verse 8 and 9, look what Barak responds to her. He says, if you go, I'll go. But if you don't go, I will not go. And Deborah says, all right, you're going to play it that way? Well, just because you're going to go about it that way, you know, I'll go with you. But God's going to place Sisera in the hands of a woman. Where's my ladies at? That was a good shouting point, girls. Didn't get our Starbucks this morning. Look at the dichotomy of this. You have Barack, a person skilled in strategy, resourceful, surrounded by an army. All he has to do is act out in obedience on a word he's been given. But rather than that, his fear of stepping out alone and his trepidation reflects his barren faith. On the other side of Barak's fear, we find the woman Deborah's prophesying about, and her name is Jael. Barak and the Israelites had defeated Sisera. Everybody was taken down except for Sisera. And Sisera begins to escape on foot, and he comes to the tent of Heber, who is Jael's husband. Heber, the Kenite, he was a descendant of Jethro, and the leader of a nomadic tribe who separated themselves from the other Kenites. They came to live uh, around or next to the Israelites. But because they were not Israelites officially, they played a neutral position in times of conflict between the Israelites and the Canaanites. But scholars say that later he compromised and made a peace treaty or an alliance with King Hazor, or King Jabin. And he came in, and his name actually means partner. So in other words, he became a partner with the devil just for self-preservation of him and his family. And perhaps because of his knowledge of this, perhaps that's why Sisera ran to Heber's tent. And there he found himself Jael. He thought it was going to be a, a quiet hiding place, but look at Judges 4, verse 18. It says that Jael stepped out of her tent. She went out to meet Sisera, and she covered him with a blanket. And when he said, I'm thirsty, give me some water, this woman knew what to do. She already had strategy in her mind. She didn't give him water. What does water do? Water refreshes you. She gave him some milk. Any mama knows you need your baby to go to sleep, you give him some warm milk. Sometimes that helps with the big babies too, right, women? She opened a skin of milk. She gave it to him, and she covered him up. She made it look like she was going to acquiesce with everything and every request he made. Then she picked up a tent peg and a hammer. She went quickly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, and she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. What a woman with violent faith. This is not an illustrated sermon. I'm not vouching for this. Please, women, do not go home and do this. <laughs> but I ask 
ask myself, what compelled Jael to do that in that moment? She only had moments. She didn't know sister was going to show up at her tent. But I imagine that this is a wife and a woman, perhaps a mother, and she sees the enemy approaching her tent, and she's tired of seeing her husband negotiate with the enemy. She's tired of forming alliances with the enemy and with what he's doing. And perhaps what also motivated her is because she had background knowledge of who the Israelites were, and she did not want to go against Almighty God. Whatever her motive was, no one can argue it was an act of audacious faith, simply taking what she had in her hands, a tent peg and a hammer, things, tools she was familiar with because it was the women's job in nomadic tribes to break down the tent and set it back up. She just took what she knew to do and she put faith behind it. She didn't have a word like Barak. She didn't have an army like Barak, but she had faith. When you infuse faith into the ordinary instruments and objects of life, the things that you have in your hand, God will produce extraordinary results. Number two, we not only stand up, but we step out. We got to be willing to trust God with what we have in our hands. You see, too many times in ministry, I know we've been there, we've done it, we have sat in our office after a service or event, kind of just debriefing and curing our own wounds, because how many know ministry is not always fun, and sheep bite. Some of you will get that later. And some of you are like, oh yeah, this was last week. And many times we will give God every excuse we have for not doing what he's called us to do. But God, if I just had the right budget, if I just had the right space and my pastor would give me a larger room, then I could have more people here. If I just had a better team. And you know what we do sometimes as leaders? We deplete and exhaust our strength trying to convince those that have already decided they're not going to jump in the boat and go in our direction. Rather than saying, God, who's the loaves and the fish? Who have you put in my team? Who have you put in this ministry? What resources have you placed in my hand? I can be faithful with that because last time I read, you multiplied fish and loaves and you fed thousands with it. God doesn't need our much to do what he's called us to do. He just needs whatever he's placed in your hand to multiply it and give you the victory. Amen. Psalm 18, 32 through 38, it is God who arms you with strength. It's not your human wisdom. It's not even your full bank account. He keeps your waist secure. He makes your feet like the feet of a deer. He causes you to stand on the heights. He trains your hands for battle. Your arms can bend a bow of bronze. He is your saving help. He's your shield. He's the right hand that sustains you. Your help has made you. He has made you great. He provides a broad path for your feet so that your ankles do not give way. Let me tell you, Ohio for Jesus, your feet will not stumble, nor will they slip in this process. You're going to pursue your enemies. You're going to step out and overlook them and you will not turn back until they are destroyed and you will crush them so they cannot rise for the next generation and they will fall at your feet you have been equipped Ohio with everything you need besides the tangible and the material God has given you the living word of God he has given you the blood of Jesus Christ he has given you the power of the Holy Spirit that 
enables you to do the supernatural in ordinary moments. He has given you a testimony to share with those who do not believe and point them to Jesus. He has given you prayer as a weapon that tear down walls. And he's given you worship that silences your enemies. It is time to step out. You got to believe. You got to trust. You got to put it into action and act out on your faith. The formula of faith. A lot of us as teachers and scholars, we got the belief down. We got the head knowledge. Trust is heart confidence. When you've gone through some storms in your own life and you're able to say, this isn't just something I memorized, I learned, or I got a degree on, but this is something I know from human experience I've walked through and God has not let me down. And once you've got that, you're able to walk it out, honey. Walk it out and have action to what God's calling you to do. Lastly, I finish with this. We got to stand up, we got to step out, and we have to grow beyond. We have the story of Jephthah in Judges. The Bible says Jephthah was a mighty warrior, but his story did not begin that way. The truth was, he was the son of a harlot. He was rejected by his brothers and his own family because of his upbringing and, and state of birth. And so they, they drove him away. He was driven away. He isolated himself in tow, began to hang around with the wrong group of people. And it was about 15 miles of where he was, had grown up and had, was born. And time passed. And we don't know exactly how many years had passed, but time had passed. And while in Tob, Amon makes war with Israel. And in desperation, the elders of Israel come out seeking help of someone. And the person they go after is Jephthah. Imagine this, he is asked to help the very ones who at one time had expelled him from the land. Jephthah had every reason to grow bitter, to let them figure it out on themselves. Why are you coming for me? You push me out. I'm out. He had every reason to get a barren heart, but Jephthah had a choice. Perhaps he could not choose what had happened to him, but he could choose how to respond to his pain. The Bible says that Jephthah agreed to help them, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he devastated 20 towns. And I believe he was regarded as a great leader because he had faith to forgive. In fact, he is chronicled even in Hebrews chapter 11 in the great hall of faith. So I want you to think about it. Do you think God would have called on Jephthah if he knew he was bitter towards Israel? God needed a leader who could be trusted not only with strength and victories, but who could be trusted with wounds. Jephthah might have been tempted to have had a barren heart, but because Jephthah could forgive, he was able to be a conduit of blessing to the very people who had hurt him. Let me tell you, leaders, and this is a lesson that we don't preach on a lot, but even in ministry, offense does come and hurt does come. Audacious faith requires us to grow beyond our pain and have faith to forgive. On one occasion, a young pastor came and had coffee with his just his highly respected mentor. And he sits down and he begins to just tell him, the, the mentor says, tell me what's on your heart. Tell me, tell me what your plans are. Tell me about what's going on in your life. And as he did, the protege just started talking and talking and he got to the point of we're sharing his dreams and this is what I want to do and I want to build this and I want to do that and, and I want to do all this. And then he realized the time had passed and he was the one doing all the talking. And so he turns to his mentor and he says, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I've been doing all the talking, but, but tell me, tell me the secret of success you've learned. Tell me, tell me what I need to do to make this dream a reality. And the mentor, sipping some coffee, 
sets it down, looks him straight in the eye, and he says, you will do will. You will do well if you don't get bitter in ministry. See, Ronald Knox said the greatest human tragedy is not a broken heart. It's a hard heart. We're going to go through disappointments in ministry. We're going to go through pain. We're going to go through rejection. And while we cannot choose what is done to us, we don't have to keep living hostage to the pain that we've endured by others, nor do we have to project it onto anyone else. It is impossible and counterproductive to go to God asking of him what we are not willing to offer to those who have hurt us. If this is an interruption that the enemy has used to harden your heart in ministry, where you're just going through the motions, let me remind you, number one, God's love for you is greater than any disappointment you will ever face. Romans 8.39 says, neither the world above nor the world below, there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God. Number two, God will walk you through your pain. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He saves those who have lost all hope. The altars you build today, leaders, are not so you can have success in ministry. The practice and personal discipline of altars and building those altars is so when life gets heavy, when they hurt you, when they disappoint you, you will not crumble under the weight of your assignment. Lastly, God will allow you to enjoy restoration in the area you experience the most pain if you'll surrender it to him. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. If you do not allow God to heal those areas of disappointment or those seasons in your life, your disappointments will turn into insecurities. Your wounds will turn into weapons that will cause collateral damage within your church and even outside. The process and wounds you are able and willing to bring to God and surrender to him. Let me tell you from personal experience, he will turn into medicine for someone else in another season. My husband and I know what it's like to walk through a barren season in life and ministry simultaneously. When we first took our pastorate in Houston, it was a church that had been in existence. They're now 75 years. At that time, I think it was 70 years. No, 67. We've been there eight years And when we walked in, when you come into a place that's had it going for a while, they're like, okay, young people, what are you going to do for us? It was pretty difficult, challenging. And there were seasons where we felt it was barren. We're doing, we're working, barren teams, barren ministries. God, we just felt like the valley of dry bones. And then to top it off, we would go home, and there we were trying to have a child and fulfill that desire in our own personal life, and it was not happening Doctors had no response, and we felt it was a barren season. And then later on, in the midst of all that, to lose a child on Christmas Day. Talk about disappointment. And I remember there was a season in our life where it was very difficult. Here I was, a pastor's wife. I had to cancel my itineration, not go out and minister because I was depressed. I didn't know what to do with this. I, didn't, I, I preached about it. But when you're walking through the fire, how do you not get burned? And I'll never forget, it was on a Friday night prayer service. I'm sitting there in the front. We used to pray during the hour of intercession and just come along people and pray for those we knew were going through trying times. But that Friday night, I did not want to pray for anybody. I didn't even want to be there. I don't remember what they spoke about. I was tired of being in the Valley of Dry Bones. I sat on on the pew right there in the front. And as my husband began to pray, I sat there and I felt the whisper, the taunting of the enemy say, you are sitting in dreams that will never become reality. 
You're sitting in the ashes of dreams that will never come, become a reality. And I put my head down and I began to weep. But I thank God for his Holy Spirit who did not let even a second go by before he swooped in. And in that moment, I don't have theology to explain this. I just know what I lived. In that moment, as I sat there, I felt a presence walk into my space. I felt someone come up, pick up my head, and just breathe over me. And I know it was the presence of God. My husband, when he finished praying, I said, who touched me? Who touched me? Who breathed on me? Because I felt like life entered me. He said, no one did, my love. No one touched you. I, I saw no one came next to you. And I knew in that moment that God had stepped in in the season of my pain and my wound to heal me. We walked through a process. It wasn't overnight that we got our miracle. It took another four years before we got that miracle you saw back there. But you know what? That barren season was our most fruitful season. God changed the way we worshiped. He changed the way we prayed. He changed the way we lived out our faith because we knew what it was like to be in the valley of dry bones and had his resurrection power alive in us. I don't know what disappointments you've gone through, but allow God to open your heart so that you can grow beyond that pain. Whether it was an offense, or whether it's just been a life disappointment in ministry, in your marriage, in your family, with your children, grow beyond and say, God, give me faith to forgive. I want you to arise with me this morning. If this morning you say, I am ready to arise in my ministry, in my church, I am ready to arise to what God's called me to, I applaud you for this whole initiative of Ohio for Jesus. What a prophetic move by the church. And as I prayed, this was what I felt the Lord gave me to pray over you. So I'm going to ask if you'll just close your eyes there where you're at. Just ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What area? Do I need to stand up? Do I need to step out? Do I need to grow beyond? What area are you speaking to me today? And I want to pray a prophetic prayer over you that I felt he dropped in my spirit. Father, we come to you right now. And I thank you for your leadership. I thank you for pastors and leaders, Sunday school teachers, ushers, lay people that have committed their heart, their soul, their talents, everything you've given them to the cause of Christ. Father, I ask today that they would stand up on the confidence they have in God's word. That, Father, if it's been a while that they have worshipped, even in the barren season, if it's been a while since they have prayed, I feel the Lord saying to someone, you've stopped praying that because your heart was no longer believing for it. But ask of me again. Ask and you will find. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Someone here has been disappointed and it's kept you from asking. But God says, ask again. I can do it again. I pray for those that need to step out, Father, that they will confront the fear that whether the enemy has come in subtly to their home, in their marriage, in their children, in that ministry, in the name of Jesus, that, Father, there would be an audacious faith to rise up in them to confront the enemy that's tried to come in. Lord, they don't have to fear or push back. They've got the power of the living God on the inside of them. And I pray that they would grow beyond, that the enemy would not use any situation, any person, any disappointment in life to harden the heart that's meant to give life to those who need it the most. And I pray over them what you asked me to, Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, Ohio, Ohio Ministry Network. 
Arise to a new life. Shine and be radiant with the glory and brilliance of the Lord. For your light has come. And the glory and brilliance of the Lord is risen upon you. For in fact, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness will cover the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, Ohio. And his glory and brilliance will be seen on you. And nations will come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes around you and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from far away. God is bringing prodigal sons and prodigal daughters home. Your daughters will be looked after at their side. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will tremble with joy and rejoice. Father, we thank you for that word. Seal it with your Holy Spirit. We give you honor and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Melissa, thank you. Come on, let's express our thanks to God. What a powerful revelation word to us today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As you're seated, well, there you go. Some of you, <laughs> you know why you came. <laughs> Please stay around for the rest of the day. <laughs> I love the bookends that the Lord is putting together by his spirit. Uh, you'll see that this afternoon when we have our closing session, when we talk about as an army, what is God calling all of us to do? And so to have this individual ministry to us today, I know some of you right now, you've told me you're walking through a season of pain. You, you feel like you're in that valley of barrenness. And many others I don't even know, and, and you resonated with this. I hope you heard from the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes. It, it is like your God to make your calendar somehow available and to put somebody in your life to twist your arm to get you here today and to schedule this very busy preacher uh, more than a year ago to be here today so that you could hear that is exactly how much your God loves you, to make sure that you know that. And, and we were reminded of that just a few weeks ago in Tanzania as General Superintendent Barnabas and Tokambali told our team that the gospel is stories. It's the story of Jesus and God's love, but it's the, the story of the gospel would not be what it is unless we knew the story of Peter. It wouldn't be what it is unless we knew the story of Paul and all of the people who, who were involved and their individual stories. That's what makes the gospel story as we give glory to our Savior. And so I hope that you heard what Melissa was brought by the Lord to say to you today because your story, get ready, folks, your story. Right now, this season of testing and challenge, that's the story that God is going to use and it's going to be how he's going to pierce the darkness. Your story is going to be a testimony of light. And one by one by one and thousands by thousands across the state of Ohio, our stories will bring glory to our God and revival to this, this great state. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you just did. So we're in store for a, a great day of sessions. We have a wonderfully planned, we have a team that has been working so hard to, to help you get through this day and navigate this building and uh, leave here without starving to death. We're going to take care of everything. We haven't lost one Synergy attendee ever to starvation. Um, so, and, and no one's ever gotten lost permanently. We had a few vans that had to turn around about a half hour out and come back, but we've not lost anybody. To help us with that, the mastermind behind this year's Synergy Conference is coming to guide you through that. Would you please give a hearty expression of appreciation as Sarah House comes and helps us get through the day today. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Just want to give you a few announcements as you're planning to head out to your uh, next breakout sessions. 
Um, we're uh, expecting an amazing day. I don't know if you've looked through the list of, of sessions yet, but some really great things for you, and we're excited about that. When you came in, you would have received a calendar book like this. This is a tool that we wanted to put in your hands for you to take home so that you have awareness of all of the things that are happening in our network. But most relevant for today, inside there was a sheet of paper that looked like this, and there are just a few announcements we want to point out to you. One of them is the SCED app. Um, if you already signed up for our text alerts, uh, you would have uh, gotten the links to that this morning. But if you need any help at all connecting to that app, that will really help you navigate the day. It does have a facility map in there. It also has the schedule and where all the sessions are located. Um, you can also just pull up the ohioministry.net slash synergy and scroll to the bottom of that page and the schedule is down there as well along with the locations of all of those sessions. Uh, so that, that will be there um, in case you prefer that route. And just in case you are not a tech-savvy person and prefer the old-fashioned paper, uh, we do have some of these out on the table. This is a full printout of all of the sessions where they're located. And just in case we run out of those, there is a help desk out there with a big sign. Um, if you go to that desk, they will help you um, find where sessions are located. They can even print for you a schedule uh, if you need that uh, extra assistance there. Um, also, I do encourage you, if you have not already done so, to sign up for our text alerts uh, on this sheet here. There is a little sheep there. And it says just to text the word synergy to 84576, and we'll be sending some alerts throughout the day, and that'll make sure that you don't miss any important information. Um, the other thing I want to make you aware of is, again, if you brought your iPad, your tablet, your computer, your own notepad, and, and that's how you want to take notes, that's great. We strongly encourage that. But just for those who think, oh, man, I really wish I had something to write that down on, we do have some paper that looks like this. It's out on the name tag tables. You can help yourself to those. There's also some pens out there, and uh, that should also uh, give you a way uh, to take the notes that you need to. And then uh, two more things I want to mention, and one of them is this name tag right here, or not name tag, it just says, how may I help you? So there are several of our network leaders that are wearing these tags this morning, and here's what I'll tell you. They may not know the answer, but they can find the people that do, okay? So if you have a question, um, you're having any difficulty, something you need to find, um, just grab someone with this tag. And we intentionally gave that and dispersed it through our network leadership because they will be in your sessions with you. They're going to be in the halls. They're going to be all around. And uh, even if they don't have the answer, they will be able to help you find someone who can answer whatever question you have. And then the last thing I want to make you aware of is, um, as you may have heard, our numbers are very high this year. We have almost 900 people registered for Synergy this year. So, yeah, that's incredible. Um, and some of you that came a little later experienced the weight of that when you were trying to park your vehicles. <laughs> Uh, but the thing I want to point out is that in the uh, second floor is where most of our sessions are. Now, to get to the second floor, you don't use the stairs here in the lobby. That will land you in the balcony, okay? So what you're going to want to do is go down the hall. Just follow the arrows that are pointing you to rooms 20-whatever. You're going to go to the other side of the building. There is an elevator there, but it is a very small elevator. So please, if you're able to use the stairs, please do so so that we can reserve that elevator for those that really need it. Um, once you get on the second floor, you will find folding chairs just lining the halls. 
because the classrooms have desks. And what we cannot do is move desks from one class to another and move furniture from one class to the other because we need these teachers on our good side. So we're going to leave their classrooms intact, okay? So those folding chairs can move in and out of the rooms as needed. So if you can fit a chair in that session, you're welcome to attend that session. <laughs> that's, that's basically how that's going to work, okay? Um, so those chairs are there for your convenience. The other breakout sessions um, are going to be the music room, the band room. There are a couple in here. And all of those things are on this side of the building, okay? So there's really just two main areas of the building that we're using. We're using this side down here on the first floor and then down the hall up on the second floor, okay? All right, well, we're going to get you out of here to your breakout session. If you have any questions, just find one of us with a tag, and we will help you as best we can.